This is Kelly Freeman from NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio, back again with another Parenting During a Pandemic. This week we focused on child care and the Development Block Grant. The American Rescue Plan, passed by Congress and signed by President Biden in March, delivered immediate and effective relief for parents and families hit hard by the pandemic. It also addresses racial and gender disparities in health and economic outcomes that have been exacerbated throughout the crisis and makes bold progress that puts us on a path to recovery. But what does that relief look like? What can parents and caregivers expect from the American Rescue Plan? NARAL Pro-Choice Ohio and the Women's Public Policy Network host a series of different Facebook Live conversations to examine the different components of the American Rescue Plan and what it means for parents. This week's conversation featured Will Petrick from Policy Matters Ohio and Holly Hankinson from Greater Cincinnati Foundation. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome to NARAL's The Morning After. Each week, our podcast brings you the latest on reproductive health care, progressive politics, and the fight to keep abortion safe and legal. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, YouTube, and on our website at ProChoiceOhio.org. The program also airs each Friday morning at 9 on WGRN 94.1 in Columbus, Ohio. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ProChoiceOH. NARAL's The Morning After is a production of NARAL ProChoice Ohio. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome everyone to um, today's uh, lunchtime series on uh, the American Rescue Plan. Um, We're really glad to have you. This is our third week in the series where we're unpacking what the American Rescue Plan means for parents in particular. Now, of course, because we love this stuff, we can't stay exclusively on the American Rescue Plan. We're talking about childcare today. And so we are gonna be broad reaching beyond that. Um, but uh, it's very important that we help um, real folks understand the ways that um, big bills passed in Washington or big policy initiatives here in Ohio actually affect you and your family. Um, And that's why we created the Parenting in a Pandemic series. Um, I am Elizabeth Brown. I'm the executive director of the uh, Ohio Women's Public Policy Network. We are partnering for this series um, with NARAL, uh, Pro-Choice Ohio. Um, And so you're probably watching through through their Facebook page or ours, and we uh, really appreciate you being here with us. I am uh, moving back and forth um, because I am actively parenting in a pandemic. I have my four month old um, snoozing on my chest. So um, I may move around a little bit, but you have my full attention. We are so glad to be, uh, focusing in today on child care assistance. Again, this is our third of the series. Um, next week, join us for lunch again on Wednesday, and we'll be talking about housing. Um, we know that uh, housing security is a critical issue for parents um, uh, in the pandemic and, and at all times. Um, but this week, as we focus in on child care assistance, we have with us Holly Hankinson with the Women's Fund of Greater Cincinnati Foundation. Um, And we have Will Petrick, um, who is the childcare expert at Policy Matters Ohio, um, and who helps us stay current on all of our um, childcare policy know-how as well. Um, So we are going to launch right into it. Um, And Will and Holly, uh, I'm gonna ask a few questions that we have prepared. Um, And if you wanna add anything um, before launching into your answer, um, please do, Uh, but we'd like to be efficient around here. So um, we are gonna gonna head right in. Um, So Will, I'm gonna start with you. Um, 
as we know, the pandemic has created an economic crisis. Um, some have called it the she session because of the impact on women who have been forced out of the workforce at astronomical rates. Um, in the last 50 years, Forbes did a look at economic downturns and this uh, recession from the pandemic um, is really the first time that women have borne the brunt of the unemployment. Um, and this is largely due to the uh, lack of safe, affordable, and accessible childcare. When women are asked directly, why have you exited the workforce? Why are you having trouble finding new work? A lot of women um, are, are, are citing that lack of safe, affordable, and accessible childcare. Um, through the Biden-Harris American Rescue Plan, we are now seeing that relief for childcare is on the way. Um, can you, Will, break down for us what kind of support for childcare is included in the American Rescue Plan? Um, you know, as much as you can get into how that works and how parents and caregivers can take advantage of the program, that would be super helpful. Yeah, um, thanks so much for the question, Liz. And um, thanks to everyone for, for joining us today. Again, my name is Will Petrick, uh, and I'm with Policy Matters. Uh, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan think tank. Our mission is to build a more equitable, sustainable, inclusive, and thriving state. And so, um, you know, I think you framed it really well, Liz. We, we've had a childcare crisis even before COVID. Um, Childcare was unaffordable for, for thousands of families across the state and across the nation. And the pandemic really has highlighted and exacerbated deep inequities within the childcare system. Uh, you know, you talked about women uh, in the workforce and moms having to leave the workforce because of lack of childcare options. I think it's 2.3 million women have left the, the workforce in part due to lack of childcare options. And those moms won't be able to get back to work unless we have safe, affordable, high quality childcare options. And so the, the American Rescue Plan um, does offer some critical short-term relief for families. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I wanna highlight is uh, there's money through the Child Care and Development Block Grant that will be flowing to the state of Ohio and specifically through the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. So the overall American Rescue Plan package had uh, $39 billion uh, for, for the child care sector. And what, what does that actually mean for Ohio? Um, there's two main kind of funding streams for the system itself. So there's $500 million um, to, for expanded childcare assistance. That's childcare de development block grant dollars. So again, federal dollars flowing into the state of Ohio. Um, those dollars can be used for a lot of different purposes. Um, we could use those dollars to expand access and make childcare more accessible and affordable for more working uh, moms and dads. Um, we could use that to improve the quality of our childcare uh, programs in the state of Ohio, or to, to make wages more competitive for the childcare workforce. So there's a lot of flexibility, and that's actually going to be um, an upcoming debate on, you know, how we as a state really prioritize those funds. Um, there's also $800 million for what's called the Child Care Stabilization Funds. And so this is specific to child care providers. 
um, these funds can be used uh, to support childcare providers who are either currently operating or who were forced to close due to COVID-related reasons. So these funds, again, can cover a, a range of expenses to help uh, stabilize those providers. So it could go toward um, personnel or toward wage increases for the childcare workforce. Um, it could help people pay the rent, um, maintain their facility or improve their facility. Um, it could go toward PPE, personal protective equipment, or different COVID-related supplies. So again, um, there's $800 million flowing into Ohio for, for those ch child care provider stabilization dollars. And um, I think the, the critical thing that we're encouraging the state is, as we've seen with COVID, you know, this has disproportionately uh, harmed black and brown families uh, and the most low income kids and families across the state. And so, you know, we, we really wanna ensure these stabilization funds are flowing to black and brown childcare providers, uh, family childcare providers, and providers that, that most need support. Um, in terms of the, the more flexible dollars at 500 million, um, again, you know, we see this as critical um, for, for helping get moms back to work. Um, so expanding access, ex expanding affordability. So that's kind of an overview of, of the funds flowing into the system. There's also a bunch of uh, tax credits um, that help families. So I don't know if you want me to um, get into those at this point too, but I think that's also something that if we have parents on the call, um, you know, something that specifically will help more parents be able to, to afford childcare. Yeah, um, that's it's a it's a huge component of um, the American Rescue Plan. That's I think really significant for like 92% of families. Um, we two weeks ago dove into the child tax credit, the expanded child tax credit. We should get into that this week too, um, in case new folks are joining us that didn't hear that two weeks ago. Um, so let's definitely do that before we close. And I will I will kick it to to Will to do that when when it's time. I want to for a moment first stay on something you just said um, and and bring bring Holly into the conversation. Um, you know, Will, you talked about the 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 disproportionate. Um, uh, effect um, presence of unemployment um, among particularly Black and Latinx women. Um, throughout the pandemic, you know, there are, there are a few layers to this onion of why women have left the workforce. The lack of access to safe and reliable childcare um, is an obstacle for most women. But in many cases, women also lost their jobs um, because of the closure of women-dominated sectors and businesses. Um, and so I, you know, Holly, how do you see the childcare assistance allocated within the American Rescue Plan playing a role in the lives, both at home and at work, of these women and, and families who are looking to rebuild from the pandemic, hopefully back to, you know, not just back to normal, but to a new normal. We hear this term build back better. I think that's pretty relevant. Um, you know, so how do you see the, um, the, the dollars and the, the programming that Will just talked about really having an effect for, for women and families? Thank you, um, Elizabeth. And, and well, I appreciate the overview myself of how this works, because even as somebody who works in this space, I know it, 
can be complicated. So I appreciate you um, clarifying sort of exactly where these dollars are going. Um, yeah, so I'll just introduce myself briefly. I'm Holly Hankinson. I'm the advocacy director at the Women's Fund of the Greater Cincinnati Foundation. Um, our mission is to ensure economic self-sufficiency of women in our region uh, and ignite a shared desire to approve it. Uh, so our focus areas um, of our work are childcare, employment, living wage, and education and training interventions for women and their families. Um, so, you know, talking about this childcare assistance piece um, within the American Rescue Plan is so important. Um, you know, women are critical to Ohio's recovery and success uh, outside of this pandemic because they do it all. Um, women are caregivers and breadwinners of their families. Um, they sort of play both roles, um, as you know, as we all know. Before the pandemic, over half of all women, um, which includes 85% of Black mothers and 62% of Latina mothers, were the primary breadwinners in their household or key breadwinners in their household. Um, so women really are the ones bringing home um, the wages to support their families. Um, you know, and Elizabeth, as you sort of indicated, COVID had a huge impact on women um, in large part because of these childcare issues. Um, women ages 25 to 44 were three times as likely as men to leave the workforce due to during COVID because of a lack of childcare. Um, you know, this was a, one of the key factors along with women um, being overrepresented in leisure and hospitality industries and black women in particular in healthcare and, um, and, and food service industries as well. So these were all you know, heavily female dominated industries that were impacted by the pandemic. Um, you know, so women have left the workforce and now we're returning to go back and um, the pandemic is making it even harder to find childcare. You know, we, they aren't, women are not gonna be able to go back to work unless they have care for their families, their children and um, other family members who need care. Um, and the pandemic has really made it harder because it also pushed a lot of providers out of business um, or reduced their capacity to uh, provide fair care for kids. So as of um, December of this year, there were over 165,000 fewer childcare workers across the country. Uh, and it's been estimated that four and a half million childcare slots could be permanently lost nationwide as a result of the pandemic. So even before, you know, it was hard to find care for people. It was expensive. Um, the average cost of childcare for one four-year-old is almost $8,000 a year in Ohio. So that was, you know, $8,000 out of the pockets of a lot of families, in particular low-wage families. That's a huge burden. Um, and it's been making this crisis has made the situation that much worse um, with hard to, harder to find care. It's expensive. Um, so as we rebuild, we really need um, the women's ability to return to work and their wages are crucial to, um, to the support their families and they are child care is crucial to allow them to go back to work so we really need this american rescue plan it's a great step to one piece of this to accomplish this you know we need to continue to support families and the child care providers because the providers um, are struggling as well and so we need to really support this whole infrastructure moving forward um thank you for that can you shed a little light on you know we um are focused on how to help right now right and the american rescue plan is just that right let's let's try to rescue um families in in this crisis that they're in but um you know you work with women on a daily basis um who have um really the long haul in mind too can you talk about what you hear from women the connection between what we do right now to stabilize and then the long-term um future for women and families um you know how actions we take right now can kind of um make or break or affect the long-term success yeah 
Um, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, everybody, of course, we need to, we need to stop the bleeding. We need to address the immediate needs right now. That's the most important thing. We've got to stabilize um, our emergent needs, um, but it really does have a long-term impact. Um, you know, I think what's interesting is we can look historically at recessions um, in the past to sort of look at what the long-term impact of these sort of recessions that are points of time do. And um, we know that black and brown families in, uh, are historically hit hardest during a recession. Um, black families in particular, I know before COVID had just recovered from the 2008 recession. They just recovered the ground that they lost in 2008. Um, you know, and then in 2020, it took them so long to recover from that. And then in 2020, um, you know, everything that had been gained was relost as, as black families in particular were, were impacted the hardest. So, you know, we have these immediate points in time um, where we see these recessions and these impacts. And then the recovery process, if we're not really intentional about policy and about creating equitable policy, um, to address it, you know, it can create the, 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 the climb back can be very long um, for families. And, and that's sort of those things are, you know, people think about that every day, you know, they obviously need to take care of getting their children cared for and their families cared for today. Um, and they're also looking to their future and trying to create stability um, for the long term success and growing our economy because, you know, those things are connected, intricately connected. They are. They are. And I actually think this is a good time to bring in the child tax credit, Will, that you mentioned. And um, and the, the reason is because since we're talking about the connection between the short term and the long term, the way the expanded credit was designed is to be a short term help. Right. But there's an active effort to um, uh, to make the the uh, child, the expanded child tax credit passed by the um, feds to make that permanent. Um, and it has um, you know, the immediate effect of having poverty, cutting in half poverty among black family, black children. Um, and you know, let's let's think about the fact that why would we ever want to go back from that, right? I mean, if we're gonna be able to have that effect right now, why would it make any sense to backwards step? Um, on that progress. So Will, if you want to go in a little bit to the um, child tax credit, this would be a good time uh, to, to do that. Yeah, so the child tax credit as, as is passed in the American Rescue Plan um, is short term. And like, like you said, Liz, I mean, I think it's so critical that, that this be made permanent. Um, there was a study, I think it was out of Columbia, that highlighted that the child tax credit expansion would reduce child poverty by 45%. And, you know, going back to, to thinking about childcare, you know, we've, we've talked about it a lot as like a workforce support and how do we get moms back into the workforce? I think the other long-term piece about childcare is, you know, at, at Policy Matters, we believe all children deserve to be safe, deserve to be cared for, um, and just deserve to have an opportunity in the future. And, and so we know that all the brain science shows that high quality early learning and investing in kids early, um, you know, helps childhood outcomes, helps them be prepared for school. And so, um, you know, going back to the child tax credit, I think it's helpful for people to understand like, what does this mean for me now <laughs> in the short term, in the immediate term? So um, I like to think of it like, say you're a family of four, um, Maria and Tom and two kids, uh, ages four and seven. Um, what, what does the child tax credit mean for you? Um, so under the child tax credit, uh, that family would receive $6,600. 
Um, so they received $3,600 for the, the child that's under age six and 3,000 for the child that's over age six. And again, you know, that's, that's immediate um, relief for, for a family to be able to provide for the basics, to be able to pay for food, housing, childcare, um, whatever their immediate needs are. And, you know, the way that the American Rescue Plan was designed was that this, this is, uh, you know, for this tax year, um, there's also on the table the American Families Plan that would extend the child tax credit for five years. Uh, and we, we want to see it permanent um, because, again, why would you want to go back? Um, there's, there's millions of families across the country um, that are struggling to, to afford childcare. And in the state of Ohio, only 26% of Black children start kindergarten ready to learn and grow. Um, so if people... Um, aren't familiar with, with kindergarten readiness, it's a metric that we look at uh, for, for childhood development. So as kids start kindergarten, this is a metric of whether they're ready to, to enter kindergarten, ready to learn and grow and engage. And this is really critical because we know that kids who start behind often stay behind. So again, in Ohio, only 26% of black children start ready to learn and grow. And so, um, you know, this immediate uh, stimulus will, will be a support for families and for kids. And we need that long term to, to really address these long term issues. Absolutely. Thank you, Will. Um, and that is um, such a wonderful uh, way to, you know, tie the connection in with kindergarten readiness. Um, you know, the, these dollars are one thing on paper, but think about the meaning that they have in a child's life for the long term. Um, when there's more stability there, that the, the child's ability um, to develop socio, you know, socio, social emotional development, why do I have such trouble with that tongue twister? Um, you know, is is only increased. Um, you know, a family's ability to provide um, really helps to stabilize a child's um, source of learning and and sort of central um, uh, central uh, supports for learning. So um, thank you, Will, for for tying that in. Um, you know, I also want to uh, uh, pivot a little bit now. There's so much going on on the federal level, um, and it's it's worth unpacking all of it as we have done. But we have to also recognize the critical role that state leaders play um, in ensuring that families can get the child care they need, and child care providers can provide that care safely, at affordable rates, and with you know equity centered in the decision. Can you dive? more deeply, you mentioned it in the beginning, um, but can you dive more deeply into the work needed on a state level to guarantee that all parents, regardless of race, income, or zip code, because none of those things should matter, um, that all parents can access childcare? Um, is that to me? That was to you, Will, yeah. Okay. Sorry. This is a great question. And I think it's important for people to understand that this, this isn't just an issue with the pandemic. Uh, for decades, Ohio lawmakers haven't made the necessary investments to make childcare affordable for all who need it, regardless of race, regardless of where you live. Uh, they haven't made the necessary investments uh, to support providers 
um, providers uh, have, have basically operated on razor thin margins. So while it's unaffordable for many families, um, providers are, are barely scraping by. And uh, the whole system's built on a workforce uh, of 95% women make up the workforce and disproportionately black and brown women uh, who, who make poverty level wages, um, less than $11 an hour. So again, that highlights a, a long-term lack of investment in the childcare system, in kids, in families, in childcare providers. And so, I mean, there's, there are a lot of issues that need to be addressed. Um, one opportunity right now in, at the state level is, um, you know, the, the state budget is being negotiated right now. And so um, it's in the Ohio Senate and um, actually, a couple weeks back, there was a bill introduced in the House called House Bill 145. And this is a bill that would um, expand initial eligibility for publicly funded childcare. So we talk a lot about how, um, you know, childcare can be crushingly expensive for families. So say you're a, a single mother making $15 an hour with an infant and a four-year-old. Right now in Ohio, with our publicly funded childcare system, she makes too much to qualify for publicly funded support um, to help her pay for childcare. And at the same time, if she's making $15 an hour and she's trying to put both of those kids into uh, a high quality childcare setting, she's spending close to 60% of her income just on childcare alone. And she has very little left over to, to cover the basics, right? You still have a phone bill, you still have transportation, you still have healthcare costs, um, food, rent, or, or a mortgage. You know, you don't have enough left over. Like that, it just, if you're that mother, I don't know what you do um, in terms of, you know, having access and, and finding childcare. So, Sorry, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you really quick. I just think this is so important. I, I love how you broke that down. And and if we can just like stay focused on that mom for a second, what does she do, right? I mean, Holly, I, I'd love for you to, to jump in there because you know my experience is, I don't mean me personally, but in women that I work with and talk to and um, you know, when, when that's when that's the wage you have and and you're trying to support your family you can't get into one of these high quality early childhood programs like that's what ends up happening you have to afford the roof over their heads you have to put food on the table we think of those things as basic needs and we need to think about early childhood education as a basic need and an infrastructure too because when mom can't afford to get her kids into that program that's where kindergarten readiness suffers right and then first grade and second grade and third grade reading guarantee and this this compounds so holly i don't know if you have anything to add there um, but i i wanted to stay on that mom for one more second yeah, absolutely. Um, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think we we know moms. Moms are going to make it work. Families are going to make it work. And what happens is, yes, their their child is not necessarily going to be able to go into those centers that are high quality that we know are good for the kids and good for the families and are stable and are good for employers too, which is sort of another piece of it. Um, they're going to sort of find a way. So they'll they'll find an older sibling to help or an older cousin, which will impact their own. They might have a high school brother or sister who might have to watch the kid. And then how what's going to happen to that child? 
education. Um, they might find a neighbor down the street, which might be great, but you know that neighbor, neighbor might not have the ability or capacity to provide that quality experience for that child. So we know the mom's gonna make it work, but it's not gonna be the best fit and it's gonna be unreliable. So that they might have their neighbor down the street, you know, watching the kid three days a week, but if the neighbor has something come up, that might not happen. And that that parent who's a working parent might not be able to go to work that day. And that impacts the whole ecosystem. That impacts the employer who's relying on the, um, you know, the employee to get there. And that's a choice, you know, the, the safety and the care of the child is always gonna come first. That's the choice any one of us would make every single day. Um, we might not go to work. If our kid is sick, we might not go to work and, you know, and might not be able to do that, but that's the choice we all have to make. Um, and it's not really a choice, frankly. I mean, you know, it's not a choice. We have to make sure the children are taken care of. So um, absolutely. I mean, it impacts families, it impacts employers, um, communities. It, it spreads beyond just, you know, that day, that childcare for that, that, that moment. For sure. That's right. And that neighbor or that aunt or that uh, older cousin, you know, they I, very well may love the heck out of that kid. But um, what we all know about childcare is that it's not babysitting. It is early childcare education. We call it that for a reason. Um, and, you know, folks who love every ounce of our children may not be trained as educators, right? And we need to make sure we're recognizing what happens before a child turns five um, is not babysitting, it's also education. Um, so, uh, Will, I'll, I'll turn it back to you um, to, to keep keep going with your train of thought on, on state action. Well, yeah, so, I mean, ultimately there's a policy lever that can address this. Um, and it's, and there's a budget, uh, you know, this is, this is an issue of state priorities. So, you know, when we think about shaping the state budget. It's a two-year biennial budget. Um, this is about our, our values as a state. This is about our, our future priorities. So if we really believe, again, that all children, regardless of what they look like or where they live, you know, deserve to be safe and healthy and cared for, and all parents uh, you know, deserve to, to have the assurance and, and be able to go to work knowing that their kid has that safe place, we, we have the resources to pay for this. Um, so it's, it's really an issue of political will. Um, and, and the policy lever itself is, is called initial eligibility. So publicly funded childcare is the program um, that helps uh, pro provide stipends for, for families, uh, working families with low income to be able to access childcare. And so it's currently set at 130% of the federal poverty level or below. These are families who can access care. Um, so that's if you make $13.75 an hour in a family of three or less than that, you're able to access uh, this, this subsidy for, for child care. Um, the, the state budget proposed by Governor DeWine in the House passed budget does increase initial eligibility up to 138%. Um, and ODGFS estimates that that's roughly 2,000 to 2,500 additional children um, who could be served. Uh, and we know that tens of thousands of children and families are still left out. So that's why we're calling on um, the, the Ohio Senate to increase initial eligibility to 200% of the federal poverty level. That's consistent with House Bill 145. Um, and so, yeah, there, there is an opportunity at the state level um, to, to not just kind of move the needle, um, but, but make a meaningful difference um, for, for making childcare more affordable and more accessible. And again, it's, it's not just about making childcare more affordable and accessible. It's about, this is, 
this is our kids' future. This is about the our economy and and the workforce and getting um, people back to work uh, as as we recover. Yeah, absolutely. And Holly, I want to talk with you more about workforce um, in a second. But before we move on from from state. Um, <clears throat> Well, I'm just going to throw this to you. Uh, we got a question beforehand um, about Governor DeWine, you know, recently announcing that everyone is free to go back to work because vaccines exist for adults. Employers can call them back in. Um, and, you know, the announcement about reinstating this requirement that you must be actively seeking work for unemployment benefits in order to access unemployment benefits. Um, so can, can you... Uh, unpack for us how exactly um, problematic this uh, requirement to actively seek work is for unemployment benefits. Um, this has a very concrete impact on families, I think at all times, frankly, um, but especially now um, it impacts families whose kids are not back in school full time and may not have access to childcare. And I just gotta tell you as a parent myself navigating the summer Coming up, I have two other kids. I have this baby on my chest and two other kids. Um, you know, it's not like summer magically, I don't have to, to work anymore and I just get to, you know, take care of my kids. There's no school, and summer programs have extremely strict requirements right now. Extremely strict. It is very hard to get your kid into a summer program, get your five year old into a summer program. So, you know, parents across the state um, are still facing long odds during this pandemic because of what organizations are having to do to account for folks' health and safety. Um, so, long wind up to, um, you know, Will, if you could talk a little bit about some of those looking for work requirements. Yeah. So, I mean, I think first, there, there's been um, a lot of news uh, that have employers claiming that they're struggling to rehire workers um, in low-wage service jobs. And I think one important thing is, you know, moms who have completely left the workforce are not going to be able to get back to work until they have access to safe, affordable childcare options. It's just as simple as that. Um, I think another thing that's important to note is um, there are several federal policies that have uh, what we call work requirements. So TANF uh, cash assistance is, is one of these programs. Uh, and what the research shows is, is that work requirements don't work. Uh, the, the whole idea is, you know, we'll offer you assistance and you have to work or go to education or training 20 hours a week. And um, basically what, what the research shows is uh, this actually pushes more people into poverty. We, we first need to make sure families and adults have their basic needs met. Uh, you know, if, if moms don't have that, one, the, the child is not gonna have their basic needs met, um, but also they're not gonna be in a position to be able to um, re-enter the workforce or, or apply to jobs. So it's critical that um, we want to recover uh, and we want to see families recover and our economy recover. Like we need to make sure uh, families have security, stability, and, and are able to have their basic needs met. Yeah, that's hugely important. And Holly, from a workforce perspective, um, would, you know, women in the workforce perspective, um, I'd be curious if you have anything to add there. Um, and then I also want to kind of zero in on this 
um, you said in your mission, I love this, that part of the, the mission of the organization is to um, ignite a, a shared, what is it, ignite a shared desire for these outcomes. Um, and, and that involves, you know, broadening the number of people who care, right? It's not just the affected population who should care. Um, and there's um, sort of the moral calling there, the moral imperative, um, but then there's also like the very real economic reality. Um, so could you talk more about how business leaders have um, been engaged on this question? If you have anything to add to, to this work requirement thing, would love to hear it. Um, but I'm curious about, you do so much work with the business community to get them to the table on these issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, it, it, this is an employment issue, kind of like, like I mentioned before, um, and we, we've all been touching on, you know, women need childcare to get back to work and employers understand this. I would say we, we do a lot of work with employers. Um, we have um, something called the employer toolkit, which is a series of policies and practices that employers can implement to support their low wage workers, um, which are, as we know, are predominantly women. Um, and what we've learned a lot through working with employers through that process and others is employers absolutely care about this issue and they, they do have that moral imperative they want to do right by their employees and they also understand that it does impact their bottom line turnover costs are real and they're very high and some um, employers especially employers of low-wage workers can see turnover costs of 100% 150% turnover 200% of turnover um, where people are turning over and just churning through employees all the time and every time they lose an employee they lose the training time they lose um, you know all the, the time that they have where they don't have someone in that spot that where they lose customers, they lose clients because they can't do the work as efficiently. So that's a real cost to employers and they, they recognize that. Um, and so they are increasingly part of this conversation. Um, you know, they, they understand it and they need to find solutions that work for them too. I mean, they do also have expenses. They can't foot the bill for childcare for all of their employees. That's, um, you know, not usually realistic for most employers to do. Uh, and, you know, we can't also just put all these costs on families as well for all the reasons we've talked about. So I think um, government interventions and, and community-wide interventions like this and really treating childcare as infrastructure, um, like transportation, um, like, you know, Wi-Fi, wi wireless, you know, as we've all seen, like these things are things that are necessary to do the work and get it done. So childcare needs to be looked at in that, looked at in that vein. And employers are, are increasingly the ones we work with understand that, um, that this is a critical need for their, for their workforce. There we go. I knew it would happen at least. Um, <laughs> trying to mute my baby's snoring, but um, <laughs> I, do you uh, do you see employers coming to the table to advocate for these larger government solutions? Um, you know, there is you know there is a natural tension that's existed in our um, uh, in our country for a long time. You know, chambers of commerce are quite conservative um, and actually can be much more conservative than individual employers at times. Um, and, you know, where we've sort of put this opposition between um, uh, government support for what families need and, you know, employers maybe desire for um, fewer and fewer and lower and lower taxes. So do you see employers taking a kind of active role in, um, in, in advocating for things like the American Rescue Plan? Um, I know that everything's, you know, has its, every company has its quirks around, um, quote, politics, but we, we call it politics and it really is a matter of um, basic necessity for so many families. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I do think we do see it. Uh, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, the employer's role is their, their job is to run their business. I think um, in my sort of experience and what we've seen is a lot of times it's not the lack of desire all the time to get involved in these issues, especially with smaller businesses. It's the lack of time to really fully understand the issue, understand how it would impact their business. You know, a lot of times these policies um, aren't necessarily written in a way where employers can immediately see the connection of the policy to their employment. It's up to advocates like us and, you know, to, to help them understand the impact to their business. So I think it's, um, it's I, in my experience, it's not the lack of desire. It's really a lack of the capacity to really dive deep into these issues and understand how it would impact their business. That often is the case, especially with smaller employers. Um, so I think it just, you know, it's one of the things we try and prioritize is really being that bridge to um, to employers um, between the policy and the employers and bringing them along. But we've had several employers who are interested in engaging on policy issues for sure. That's great. That's great. Um, uh, so, Will, did you have something? Sorry. I, I just wanted to highlight that on House Bill 145, the, the bill to improve access and make childcare more affordable, uh, the Columbus Chamber of Commerce testified and I, I want to say that recently the, the Dayton uh, Chamber of Commerce also testified in support of uh, childcare access. And so they, they really recognize that I think, again, it's a workforce issue, but it's also an issue of the, the future workforce and making sure that um, kids are um, prepared to, to enter the workforce as they, they grow and develop. That's great. Thanks for highlighting that. And there is a growing coalition because um, uh, making it easier for parents to access childcare is, is just so common sense. Um, so before we wrap up, I want to um, go back to the child tax credit for a second and highlight a couple things we learned in um, our panel about it two weeks ago, um, where, you know, if there are parents watching who are wondering kind of how that works, um, Will talked about the different levels um, of the credit um, and the, the, which is 3,600 for a child under six and $3,000 for a child six and older. Um, and that it is a sort of one-year plan, but that, that as passed, but that the American Families uh, Plan Package, I forget the third word, um, does uh, extend it to five years that, you know, we should fight for that and beyond. Beyond those numbers, though, I just want to highlight for anyone watching, um, file your taxes. Um, the deadline is coming up. Um, and when you do that, when you file your tax return for, for 2021, um, you know, you declare dependence and that is how um, the tax credit will be dispersed. That's how you kind of get onto the system. Um, now, some um, low-income parents where this credit is particularly meaningful um, will not have to file taxes and um, you can go onto irs.gov and file just a simple return um, that will uh, make it easy for you to access the credit, um, even if you're not filing the traditional uh, tax return um, due on May 17th, I believe. Um, so I wanted to, to highlight that because um, I know that parents do have questions and um, the benefit itself will uh, go 
to help alleviate child poverty, cut it by 40, you know, by 45%, cut it in half for black families. But a lot of families, 92% um, of families will be eligible to receive the expanded child tax credit. It's meaningful in so many ways because it in, it's, it, more families can realize it and because it's a refundable credit, which means even the lowest income families who previously had been shut out from the child tax credit and the credit was smaller, um, now can actually access it. And given everything, what I'm sitting with right now and, and the child tax credit, given what we've learned from Holly and Will today um, about this connection between family stability, um, economic growth and childcare, um, I really think that the child tax credit will be some of the smartest stimulus spending our government has ever made. Think about when uh, the American government decided to invest in its senior population, the end of breadlines for seniors, right? Social security, Medicare. Think about what that did to stabilize the economy and cut poverty and just bottom line, cut human suffering. We have the opportunity right now in our generation to make huge transformational investments in kids that will really, and when I say transformational, not only change their lives and, um, and end some human suffering, but also transform the economy that we live in. Um, so I, I just think we can't play, pay close enough attention. We can't pay close enough attention to these issues. They're critical um, for you know, our own, own cities and towns we live in and the nation as a whole. Um, so before we wrap up um, with you know, me on my soapbox there, I, I wanna give um, Holly and Will an opportunity uh, to offer any closing thoughts. And I'll start with you, Holly. Uh, here, here, I will say, um, I, I will jump on that soapbox with you. No, that's that's great. I completely couldn't agree more. I think um, just in general, you know, this childcare, it's obviously critical for women and families, um, and, and, and in particular, our low wage workers and low wage employees, and it's critical for our economy. So I think it's just, um, I really appreciate you lifting this up um, and, and providing this platform today for those of us who are kind of policy wonks to talk about it and think about these issues. Um, they're so important for families, and I think it's important for um, to continue talking about this as a society and, and the impact on employment and on the, you know, the entire um, recovery for our state and for our community um, out of this pandemic. This is the critical infrastructure issue. So appreciate the opportunity to talk about it today. Thank Great. you. Thank you, Holly. And thanks for everything um, that you that you do on the issue every day. Will? Um, just want to say thank you so much for, for hosting this discussion. Um, and just want to encourage people to, to stay committed to this effort. I mean, there's opportunities at the state level with the state budget with House Bill 145 to continue pushing for, for more access, for more affordability. Uh, and I think at the federal level, there's, there's enormous opportunities with the um, kind of upcoming American Families Plan uh, to make some of the reforms in the American Rescue Plan permanent um, and extend the child tax credit one thing we haven't even talked about today is there's another uh, tax credit that helps working families called the Child Independent Care Tax Credit. And so that's something that uh, certainly encourage listeners to, to learn more about, maybe Google. Um, it's, it's another thing that um, 
actually, you should be tracking your childcare expenses this year um, for your tax return next year. It could be a credit. Um, if you have two or more kids, you could get $8,000 uh, back as a credit or up to $4,000 for one child. So um, that's, that's another, again, um, kind of short-term opportunity, but the American Families Plan would extend that um, and, and make that really sustainable for, for people. So um, yeah, thanks so much for, for having me. And I, I think in terms of like kids and families, I, I love the uh, African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Um, I think of that both in terms of your neighborhood, your family, helping to support, uh, raise, raise families, raise children, but it's also about policy, right? Our state, our nation. Um, if we really, you know, care about families and care about kids and, and our future, um, we, we, we need to make these systemic changes um, to, to make childcare a basic, basic fundamental right for everyone. Uh, who needs it. So um, yeah, really appreciate it. That's, that's exactly right, um, Will. And really, we should want for everyone's children what we want for our own children. Um, that's, that's one sort of the message there, and it takes a village. Um, it's really all of us in this together. Um, thank you. And thank you for highlighting the de um, dependent care um, credit. Uh, there are, Families are in crisis um, this past year more than they ever have been. And so um, we really wanna help you decode what opportunities you have to um, you know, help get out of crisis. And fortunately, help is on the way from the federal government, um, but there is more to do. And there is a lot that should be done on the state level. So as Will and Holly both said, stay engaged. You can stay engaged in these policy discussions. Um, um, and maybe, I don't know if Kelly has the ability to do this, but we'll just put in our Zoom chat a link to the tax credit. Um, if Kelly or Aaron is able to put that in the Facebook chat, that'd be great so people can see it. But, um, you know, there's more to do on the state level. There's more to do on the federal level. Please stay engaged on policy conversations. But also, you know, if you do have an employer, stay engaged with your employer. You know, as much as you feel uh, safe, talk about what you need as a parent to your employer. Um, and, and, and tell them about this economic case that you know, Holly has really used to ignite this desire among employers in the Cincinnati region to help. Um, but, but as much as you feel safe doing so, um, advocate in your own workplace. Um, it can be uncomfortable, but there will be people who come after you um, who your advocacy um, you know, can directly change their, their, their lives. So um, as much as you can, please um, continue to stay tuned to WPPN and our uh, work to decode policy, but also um, do what you can um, in your personal sphere too. Um, so again, this is the third in our four week series on uh, parenting during the pandemic to um, help break down the American Rescue Plan. Next week, same time, noon on Wednesday, join us on NARAL's Facebook page um, with WPPN to talk about housing. Um, so Holly Hankinson, thank you. Will Petrick, thank you so much. Everyone have a great rest of your Wednesday.